0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Doughty. And today we're going to start with some of the best opening lines for a poem. It's from Samuel Taylor Coleridge's Kubla Khan. In Xanadu did Kubla Khan a stately pleasure dome decree where Alf the sacred river ran through caverns measureless to man down to a sunless sea.
1: And while Coleridge may have been high on opium while he wrote this, Xanadu was a real place. It was the summer castle of Kubla Khan, which Marco
0: Polo visited. But it was also a fictional pleasure palace that you might know as Charles Foster Kane's house in Citizen Kane.
1: And while Orson Welles's version of Xanadu was compiled from exterior shots of a castle in New York and surrealist matte paintings, it was meant to be William Randolph Hearst's La Cuesta Encantada.
0: Or the Enchanted Hill, which is high above California's Pacific coast. And Hearst lovingly called it the ranch. It's sometimes called San Simeon, which is also the town where it's located. But we know it best as Hearst Castle.
1: So where did this castle come from? Well, William Randolph Hearst's father, George Hearst, purchased Rancho Piedras Blancas in 1865. It had been part of a Mexican land grant of 1840, and he later bought the adjoining ranchos, Santa Rosa and San Simeon.
0: So when William was in kind of this his middle age. He inherited this enormous estate by this point from his mother. It's 250,000 acres. And um, by 1919 he starts construction, which is the same year that he's kind of making his first forays into the movie business, trying to promote the career of his 22-year-old mistress, Marion Davies. So this is his entry to Hollywood.
1: And the land was originally known as Camp Hill. It had been a place for the family to go on camping trips. You know, Mrs. Hurst and the boys. Although it's not my kind of a camping trip, it's, <laughs> it's a little cushier. They've got separate sleeping and dining tents, which actually is my idea of camping. Yeah, to think of it, that sounds lovely. <laughs> sounds
0: pretty comfortable.
1: But Hurst wants more than that.
0: Yeah. He sends instructions to his architect, Julia Morgan, in 1919. Miss Morgan, we are tired of camping out in the open at the ranch in San Simeon, and I would like to build a little something. That's a major understatement, but she spends the next 28 years working on the project, which by 1947 is a complex of 165 rooms and 127 acres of gardens, terraces, pools, and walkways. So... Before we get into the house, we should talk about the woman who spent 28 years of her life working on this project.
1: Right, and Julia Morgan is a pretty interesting person. She was born in 1872 in San Francisco, a little, small, sickly child, but she sneaked into her brother's gym and exercised. And she was very well-educated by her well-to-do parents. As a teen, she spent the summer with her New York relatives. And that's when she first discovered her love of architecture, when she visited the office of Pierre Lebrun, who was her cousin's husband. She likes the drawings, she likes the designs, and she thinks, hey, hey maybe that could be me.
0: For me, Yeah, so she attends UC Berkeley and studies civil engineering. And her senior year, she meets Bernard Maybach, um, who by the way, is an interesting character himself. He wore Greek robes and had a waist-long beard. But um, after graduation, she studies architecture with him privately. And by 1896, she goes to Paris and starts preparing for exams to enter the École des Beaux-Arts. she has to take the test a few times. Um most, so does everybody. Most people do. But she ends up being the first woman enrolled in their architecture section and graduates in 1902. And she took
1: a lot of trips in Europe while she was there to study yeah. classical architecture, and she wanted to sketch a lot of these gorgeous buildings because she couldn't always afford the books she needed.
0: Yeah, so she really learns a lot about classical architecture. And she returns to California and becomes the first woman, again, uh, to be granted an architect's license in the state. Go Julia! Yeah, and um, her, she eventually establishes her own practice, and it really takes off after the San Francisco earthquake of 1906. For one thing, you can imagine there are a lot of buildings that need to be rebuilt, but also some of her earlier designs had weathered pretty well. She had been using reinforced concrete, so it wasn't all um, crumbled from the earthquake.
1: Right, and her connection to the Hearst starts with Phoebe Hearst, who's really involved in the YWCA. this This is William Randolph Hearst's mother. Right. And it's not like she was just working on the Hearst Castle during this 28 years. We want to make that clear because she's also working. With other clients and on other projects for the Hearsts, like the hacienda in California, Wintoon Fairy Tale House Which is in Northern California. So neat looking! You it's really so look pretty. Google image that one. There's a Hopi residence at the Grand Canyon. Um, she does the Los Angeles Examiner building, several of William Randolph Hearst's Beverly Hills residences, and Marion Davies' beach house in Santa Monica.
0: But yeah, like like we said, she's also got other clients. So when Hearst eventually loses a lot of his money later in life. It's not like she's out of work. She's got a a successful business right. She was a Hearst. smart cookie. But we we wanted we're here to talk about her most famous project, which is the Hearst Castle. So Hearst was really into collecting art and antiquities. And it's something that had appealed to him ever since he visited Europe with his mother at age 10. He'd been interested in art history. So whatever he built, it wasn't just going to be a little something like he (laughs) sent in that telegram to Morgan. It was going to be a museum for his art and statuary tapestries and pottery, and also a place to display these architectural elements that he had accumulated. And this is big stuff. It's not, it's not little pictures to hang on the wall. No, we're talking entire ceilings. Ceilings and doors and even temples. So he's got to have a place to integrate all of the things he's collected.
1: And Sarah had found a really cool New York Times article that called his home cinematic because it's not arranged as a whole. There's not one huge idea that all of the rooms sort of play into. It's more like... You walk into one room, and it's gothic, and you walk into the next room, and it's very Renaissance. So more like a series of vignettes.
0: And it's um, that makes sense when you consider he's building it to house his collections and to display them. So he's got all this different stuff. It's going to end up looking very um, diverse. But let's talk about the biggest part of the house,
1: which is uh, the main house, La Casa Grande, 60,000 square feet, and it's built in a Mediterranean revival style.
0: Yeah, as are the three guest homes, which are called cottages, and that must be very ironic because they're each mansions in their own right. But the Casa Grande has 38 bedrooms and 41 bathrooms, and it's probably most distinctive Feature is the Spanish towers like a Spanish cathedral. It's you can see it up on the on the hillside when you drive by, drive
1: and there by. are even rooms. In the towers, the hexagonal celestial suites, as they're known. One was a favorite of Clark Gable and Carol Lombard, and they could wake up to these 18 huge bells above them.
0: Which I think might be kind of terrifying. Not or sure. wonderful.
1: <laughs> not, or I don't know.
0: Um, a, a lot of the rooms had the antique coffered ceilings, like we were talking about, oriental carpets and the colorful tapestry hangings on wood paneled walls, and um, a lot of the decorative elements originated from Spain or Italy, which played into that Mediterranean revival theme. Hearst was trying to... He, I don't think he was a big fan of the Spanish mission style, um, but he wanted to stay true to the California look and not you know, not go completely off course. Um, but every week, railroad cars would come in with different things. It wasn't all just from Spain or Italy. He would have... Um, Flemish tapestries and antique French furniture, as well as the Roman temple fragments and the ceilings from Italian monasteries. Um, So all of the... You can just imagine trucks coming up the hill with just overflowing luxuries.
1: (laughs) But despite this ornate setting and this ornate building that he had, he maintained a surprisingly casual atmosphere. He really liked this idea of it being a ranch. So... You know, the refectory table, which is in this lovely, gorgeous room that looks like it should be in a monastery, is set with paper napkins and
0: bottled ketchup. Yeah, like it's a campsite. (laughs) And he has this really impressive collection of ancient Greek pottery. Some of it is from 800 BC. And it's arranged among his books. Like, you or I would put little knickknacks, like postcards or something, (laughs) on our bookshelves. It's not... It's not set up like a museum.
1: No, but it is this gorgeous setting, and it's perfect for entertaining, and Hearst entertained a lot of people, including some of the shining star names, Lionel and John Barrymore, Charlie Chaplin, Gary Cooper, Clark Gable, Greta Garbo, Cary Grant, and Harpo Marx.
0: And probably his most famous guest was Winston Churchill, and uh, by the time Churchill was visiting, Hearst and his wife, Millicent, were estranged. Uh, she was tired of him carrying on this very open affair with Marion Davies and had moved to New York. But she she made sure to come home when when Churchill was visiting and entertained as as the lady of the house. Oh, I would too. Get those perks. <laughs> but usually it was Davies who was entertaining with Hearst, and they had
1: very elaborate costume parties, including one of the big ones was called the Circus Party, and that was for William Randolph Hearst's 75th birthday, and Betty Davis came as a bearded lady.
0: Which sounds pretty... Like a pretty devoted costume. We here. do love. We costumes. can appreciate that. Um, he also has a huge wine cellar. You would think that that a lot of these parties would be very alcohol fueled, but surprisingly, they weren't. He was not a big drinker himself, and even though he does have this impressive wine cellar, which Morgan designed, so it's in compartments, so it's fireproof and theft proof, and he's he's really concerned about theft. By the way, with his with his wine cellar. He holds the key. Even his butler complains that you have to really order ahead of time because you have to get the master of the house to <laughs> to get the wine out for you.
1: But there were ways to get around it. If you were uh, David Niven, the English actor who you might know from The Pink Panther, he got in trouble once for bringing in his own liquor and tossing his empties under his bed, which, of course, was the bed formerly owned by Cardinal Richelieu.
0: <laughs> but there was a lot to do at the castle besides drink. Hers would actually kick people out sometimes if they were too inebriated. But we're going to go over some of the most famous features.
1: Probably the castle's most famous feature of all is the Neptune Pool. There are actually three pools that were built on site, each successively larger than the last, because the initial plan was just a little ornamental pool. But in 1924, Hearst wrote to Julia Morgan and said, I am sending back the plan of the Temple Garden with the suggestion that we make the pool longer than it is, as long as a swimming pool. Mrs. Hearst and the children are extremely anxious to have a swimming pool.
0: So the second version sounds pretty awesome. It has a cascade and statues of uh, Neptune and a Nereid. An um, but the present version, which was built in 1934 to 36, is uh, pretty amazing. It's 104 feet long, 58 feet wide, and it holds 345,000 gallons of water. And that's not the only
1: cool thing about it. There's also this oil-burning heating system, which Sarah and I liked because it sounds, at the same time, both so modern and so old-fashioned. Yeah, it
0: sounds very quaint, oil-burning, but... Um, nice to have a heated pool, too, I guess. Exactly.
1: And picture lots of Vermont marble and four 17th century Italian Abbas reliefs on the sides
0: of the colonnades. Yeah, and of course, there's a whole temple facade on one side of the pool. And if you don't want to look at that, if you get tired of staring Sounds terrible. at the gorgeous temple, you can turn around in the pool and look at a beautiful view of the Pacific
1: Or if you're more of an indoor swimmer. Yeah,
0: if the the sun is not shining in
1: California. You could change locations and go to the indoor Roman pool, which is also huge, 1,665 square feet. And there are eight statues of Roman gods, goddesses, and heroes there.
0: Lifeguards watching over (laughs) you.
1: But not entirely as helpful. It was probably styled after ancient Roman baths, like the Baths of Caracalla.
0: Um, and the mosaics were inspired by a 5th century mausoleum in Ravenna.
1: And this is our very, very favorite part of all. It has a traditional marine monster theme, and I'm thinking about changing my bathroom.
0: I would love to have a marine monster theme in my bathroom. Sounds it, great. It's decorated floor to
1: ceiling with mosaic tiles. Some of them are colored, some of them have fused gold inside, and the designs are created by a well-known muralist, Camille Salon.
0: But if swimming is not what you're up to, there's also a zoo. And the zoo at various points had antelope, zebras, camels, llamas, kangaroos, ostriches, emus, Barbary sheep, Alaskan bighorn sheep. Katie, you want to pick it up?
1: Yeah, there are more. We're not done.
0: (laughs) Musk oxen,
1: yaks, giraffes, black bears, grizzly bears, which bears best, Sarah? Lions, tigers, leopards, jaguars, cougars, chimpanzees, orangutans, monkeys, macaws, kinkajous, Kinkajous. (laughs) swans, storks, and an elephant. Just to round out the cast.
0: So Hearst kept a vet on staff, as you would have to if you had all these animals. Most of them, um, or at least the grazing type, just kind of Went around in enclosures, but there were, uh, you know, he, he didn't let the bears roam their property and like eat Charlie Chaplin or something. But by 1937, he started losing a lot of money and dismantled his zoo. He, I think he sold most of them to zoo, like public zoos or private collections. But there's still a few animals left, including zebras. Hearst Castle is famous for um, the occasional zebra that strolls by.
1: <laughs> and if you don't feel like driving to go see those zebras, you could land at the airport, mm-hmm. which some very famous people like Sir Charles Kingford Smith, Howard Hughes, Amelia Earhart, and Charles Lindbergh flew in to visit.
0: So Hearst died in 1951 just shortly after this project is officially completed. Um In 1958, his heirs gave 137 acres of the holdings, including the castle, to the state of California as the Hearst San Simeon Historical Monument. And today you can go and tour the castle. I I actually really recommend visiting um, the castle's official site, and you can do 360-degree tours. Oh, yeah, and click through
1: all the rooms. It's really
0: cool. It gives you a good sense of how you install a ceiling from an Italian monastery into your own home. I had
1: so many questions for Sarah about that. Like, no, really, once you buy a ceiling, where do you put it? (laughs) I'd like someone
0: to answer that for me. But um, it it makes sense that they transferred this to the state, just as Xanadu and Citizen Kane shows signs of decay by by the end of the story. You can imagine it would cost a fortune to maintain a home like this privately. Exactly. So that is the story of Hearst Castle. And this was a listener suggestion
1: for which we thank you. If you have ideas, feel free to email us at historypodcast at com. And if you'd like to read more about some fabulously wealthy residences, go to our homepage and search for top 10 most expensive houses at com.